Okay, let's get started. We are having a, uh, this is a fun, fun one today because we are going to be going through, I'm going to share the source sheet now. We're going to be going through the next part of the, of the daily blessings. And these are going to be some of the, uh, I think, most important moments of one's day. Like if someone asked me, I have time to pray for one minute or 90 seconds every day, what should I be doing? I would say immediately, they should be saying these, the morning blessings. And we're gonna go through them at greater detail to really understand why they are so essential to getting a proper perspective about what the purpose of life is and what exactly God wants from us. So let's look again. We started this last week, but let's do this again one more time. We're gonna do it one more time because I wanted to show how this is completely based on what the Talmud really had in mind. So we're looking at, at the first source on the source sheet. And we read in the Gemara, upon hearing the sound of the rooster, one should recite, blessed art thou who gave the heart understanding to distinguish between day and night. Then, right, so the first thing that you do is when you're in your bed, you didn't wake up yet. The hearing the sound of the rooster is what wakes you up. Then you immediately respond, this should be your response. And when you open your eyes, you should then respond, blessed are you who gives sight blind. Upon sitting up straight, one should recite, blessed are you who sets captives free. On dressing. Very good question. So yes, according to the Gemara, that is exactly what you do. According to the Gemara, you actually say one at a time, right? So in the Gemara's times, it is clear. The process was, as each thing would happen in the morning, you would then say that. You get up out of bed, then you're going to say something else. Upon sitting up straight in bed, you then say, blessed are you who sets captives free. Upon getting dressed, you then say, blessed are you who clothes the naked, as they would sleep unclothed. Upon standing up straight, one should recite. Blessed are you who raises those bowed down. On descending from one's bed to the ground, one should recite, Blessed are you who spreads the earth above the waters. Upon walking, one should recite, Blessed are you who makes firm <clears throat> man. Upon putting on his shoes, one should recite, Blessed are you who has provided me with all I need. Upon putting on his belt, right? So as we see, this is all a process. And as you do each one of these actions, you then make this blessing. Now, in the general sense, all of these blessings seem to be focusing on giving thanks to God for our ability to do certain actions. The sages make it clear that even if we ourselves don't have this ability, we still make these blessings because we are thanking Hashem for having given these abilities to mankind and thereby enabling them to fulfill his vision for the world. Now, that being said, what the sages had in mind in the times of the Gemara clearly was they wanted us to be doing things as we actually are engaged in this action, immediately then we should be saying thank you to Hashem. Now it's very simple why that should be the most powerful way to do it is because if we're trying to express our appreciation for a certain action, your feeling of appreciation and thanks that is engendered at the moment that you're able to get that action, that you're able to do something that came to you from someone else, that is the proper moment when immediately then you should say thank you because that's when you're feeling it the greatest extent, right? So it makes a lot of sense that that should be the time when you should make that blessing. So why is it that we stopped doing that today? So this is really going back already to the Shulchan Aruch, written over 400 years ago. And he already says that the custom today is we do not do this anymore. There's two reasons why we no longer do this. Two reasons why instead, we, the only thing that we say in the morning while we are still in bed is the moda ani. That's the only thing we say in the morning while we are still in bed. 
Then we, we come out of bed, we wash our hands, we get dressed, we do all of the different things to make us ready to start our day. We put on our belt, all the different aspects. And then we sit there and we say the morning prayers. So the Shulchan Aruch explains like this. He says, people stopped knowing which blessing they should make at which point in time. And therefore the custom arose that what would happen is people would wait until they came to the synagogue and then they would all say it together in the synagogue so that people would know the blessings and say it properly together with other people. Remember, in those days, people did not have a sidur, right? Can you imagine such a thing? You know, I think most houses probably had something. Maybe they had a part of, of a chumash in there or something, but they did not even have a sidur in their house. So they had no ability to actually say these blessings by themselves. So the custom then developed that we actually say these blessings in the synagogue, okay? So, but that's the general concept that we're trying to express that the sages are trying to get us to do is this idea of expressing appreciation to Hashem as we go through each of the different gifts that Hashem has given us. Now we're going to deal with them a little bit more at depth. Last does, week, does this mean that it's only for men because yep. they said it in show? No, so it does not mean that at all. I, I asked my father this morning, what, um, is it possible that women used to not say is it possible? And he said, no, he does not think so. He said that the, the Rambam makes it clear that women have an obligation to pray as do men, because although typically we say that if there is a mitzvah grama, if it is a positive time bound commandment, women are exempt from engaging in that commandment. The Rambam explains that women are obligated to pray. The Mugen Avram explains the Rambam that although we understand today that there are specific time periods in which one is obligated to pray the Shemona Esra, that is not the Torah level obligation of prayer. The Torah level obligation of prayer is to say thank you to Hashem, to express praise to Hashem for having created the world, to say thank you for what you have gotten individually and to make a request from God. The morning prayers, these, these blessings, these 15 blessings, they are not limited to a specific time of day. You're supposed to say these blessings once a day. Perhaps the one about the rooster can only be said in the morning, but the rest of them can be said when you wake up, even if it's the middle of the night, okay? So these are not limited to men. These are blessings that women are supposed to say as well. We will see that some of these blessings at first glance seem to be blessings that are more appropriate for men to say than women, but we'll deal with that and we'll explain why they are certainly completely appropriate for women to say as well, okay? So last week, did, we did the first four blessings, the ability to discern when the day begins, and then, the, and then the three blessings that are expressed in the negative. Now, today we will begin the positive appreciation blessing. So I, I don't know if everyone has an art school sidor, but if you do, we are on page 19, and we will be going through these blessings one by one, starting with the fourth blessing. Okay, so technically there happen to have been two different customs as to the order of four and five, are they blessed are you Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who gives sight to the blind? Is that number four? And number five, referring to the fact that God gives us clothing, or is it vice versa? The custom, I think, with most Ashkenazi Jews today, as far as I know, the custom is that indeed we say first, giving sight to the blind, and second, the idea of having given us clothing, okay? So, 
why do we make this blessing of sight to the blind, right? So why do we do it as the very first blessing that we make after having recognized that the rooster has woken us up? Because the first thing that we do is open our eyes. And when we open our eyes, we appreciate vision. And I just want to tell you guys, this past week, I had a pretty bad um, eye infection. And it was bothering my vision a little bit. But what really bothered my vision is when I had to put in um, an antibiotic ointment. And I, I really could not, could not really see out of that eye for about a, a half hour afterwards while the ointment was getting absorbed. And it was totally blurry vision, double vision. They couldn't see anything really from that eye. And I was trying to drive, which I probably should not have done. I didn't realize how blurry it was going to be. And I was, <laughs> I was actually at the doctor's office and I had just gotten it. And I had to get home. So I drove with almost on, only really one eye, which was not, not recommended. But what it did help me do, it helped me appreciate the fact that we have two eyes that are this far apart from each other, that are exactly the right amount apart from each other, that we're able to see depth perception. If they were too far away, then they wouldn't even get depth perception anymore. And if it was only one eye, like a cyclops, then we wouldn't have depth perception either. So I got a, a newfound appreciation for when we talk about vision, we talk about our ability to interact with the world, to see, to see the world that God created, right? In the very specific way that Hashem created every single aspect, and we do have this double vision. So for me personally, I did have this newfound appreciation this week. So, oh, so here, here's what Rabbi Schwab, the book that we're, we're working as working off of as our text, he had a great suggestion. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I remember as a, as a child, my teacher is teaching me the same suggestion, that perhaps when you make the blessing who has given sight to the blind, close your eyes while you're making that blessing. Just keep them totally closed and appreciate that, that much more when you open up your eyes, the fact that you have vision, right? So when, if you have your eyes closed for a little bit um, and you're trying to walk around the room and it's impossible, right? How much more we can appreciate the fact that we're able to interact with the world because of the fact that we have vision. Yeah. Let's, so that, that's blessing number one of, of having given us vision. Now, blessing number two is having clothed the naked, right? So on a very simple level, it's, we appreciate the fact that we're able to have clothing, right? There are many very poor people in the world who don't even have clothing at all. So we're appreciating the fact that we have clothing. But if we think we take it to a little bit of a deeper meaning and a little bit of a deeper level, we can look at <coughs> the very first time a human put on clothing, right? And who was that? Let's look back at source number two. And source number two is in the third chapter of Genesis. Now we're gonna read it. Well, I, <coughs> excuse me, I brought most of it, but we'll try to do it quickly. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild beasts that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman replied to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the other trees of the garden. It is only about fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat of it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you are not going to die, but God knows that as soon as you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like divine beings who know good and bad. When the woman saw that the tree was good for eating and a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable as a source of wisdom, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some of to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they perceived that they were naked and they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loin cloths. right? So up until then, they did not need clothing, right? Why did they need clothing, right? Why do they only need clothing afterwards? What happened afterwards that all of a sudden they need clothing? So the way the sages explain is like this. Prior to having eaten from the tree of fruit of knowledge of good and bad, 
they did what was right. And the actions that they undertook were not because of their personal biases, but rather because this was what God wanted them to do. And therefore, they would engage in sexual relations, but that was purely as a function of fulfilling God's will to propagate the earth. And therefore, there was absolutely nothing embarrassing about their sexual organs, right? Animals have no embarrassment of it because animals are not thinking in terms of, are we doing right or bad? It's just instinct. And prior to eating from the tree, it was instinct also. The instinct was on a little bit of a higher level. It was fulfilling God's will. But that being said, there was nothing for them to be ashamed of, right? Now, once they ate from the tree, they have a, a enhanced level of free will, okay? I, we're not going to get into it at too great of a length because it's a pretty big topic, but essentially they had some level of free will before they ate from the tree. They get a greater level of free will after they eat from the tree where life becomes more cloudy, more murky. Now you have a greater level of ability to choose to do the right thing. So God himself, we're going to read a little further and we read that God himself ends up making them clothing. They sew together their they sewed together their uh, the loincloth, but then the Lord God made garments of skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, now that the man has become like one of us, knowing good and bad, what if he should stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever? So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to till the soil from which he was taken. Made the first clothing for man and woman. So when we sit there and we get dressed in the morning, we are not just expressing our gratitude to God that we have the ability to get dressed and live in a first world country and nobody has issues with clothing. That's not the only thing that we're expressing our gratitude for. We are expressing our gratitude because God clothed us originally, clothed the original Adam and Eve. Now, what does that mean? What, what exactly are we referring to? What's the purpose of clothing? So it's symbolic. It signifies the fact that we do have free will. On the one hand, it seems like it's a come down because we used to not even need clothing. We were on such a high level. We didn't even need clothing to protect us from our own selves. But on the other hand, it now signifies the difference between man and animal. Animal does not have free will. An animal does not need clothing because they don't need to protect themselves. But we have free will. And that's the greatest thing about us. That's the thing that makes us like God, right? The ability to choose. And therefore, when we talk about God clothing us, what we're really referring to is not just the simple understanding and not, and not just the fact that we're wearing clothing, but also the fact that we have free will, which is signified by us wearing clothing, okay? And this is obviously not just specific to the Jewish people. This, once again, is for all people, not just the Jewish people. Okay, the next bracha that we're going to do is the blessing of, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who releases the bound, right? What does release the bound mean? Right? What does it mean bound? How are we bound? So the answer is like this. The answer is that when we sleep, our physical body is only somewhat under our command, right? Most of what we do at night, you know, so our, you know, some, some of our functions we're able to control even when we're sleeping, but many of our functions we're not able to control when we're sleeping. If our hand goes here, hand goes there, leg goes here, leg goes there, we have no control over that. So it's not bound in the classic sense that it's actually tied up, but it's bound in the sense that it is not actually underneath our ability to choose what to do with it. So when we talk about God releasing the bound, what we're really talking about is the fact that God gave us back our brain, gave us back our ability to choose what, what we, and control our limbs. That's really what we're referring to. And that's blessing, right? The next one 
is blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who straightens the bent. What is this referring to? When you get out of bed, you stand up. We stand on two feet. We are not like animals. We don't stand on four, right? Humans have something similar to animals. Certainly a lot of us, a lot, a lot of what we are is very similar to an animal. But ultimately, we are not on four-legged creatures. We are on two-legged creatures. So we straighten the bend. We get to walk on two legs. The next blessing, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who spreads out the earth upon the waters. Right? So what is this idea? This is the idea that we read at the beginning of the creation of the world, in the beginning of Genesis. The idea that there was these uh, waters and then Hashem spread out the earth. So something that I think is a very good thing to think about, right? When we think about how the earth has the most incredible thing, when you think about what the geologists have discovered in terms of the different layers of the earth's surface. And when you go deeper, you find like the, the level of the magma, right? Magma, it, it's not solid, right? It's not solid at all, but yet we're on top of that and we're on solid ground. Now, a way that we can build a greater appreciation that I heard from one of my teachers growing up, and I saw this in Rav Schwab as well, is uh, think about what it's like living through an earthquake, right? I don't know how many of you were living around here in 1987, but I was one time, one time in an earthquake in Israel, in Jerusalem, and uh, it wasn't that long. It was maybe 20 seconds, and it wasn't a big earthquake either. But the world was shaking and it was like this incredibly unsettling feeling of living in, a, in earth that was not, not firm, right? So that's something you can think of if you've ever been in an earthquake or just think about the concept, right? That we live in a world, we live on a ground that is firm. That earth is firm, we're able to walk on it. We're able to do our actions upon an earth that is firm. If the earth was shaky, we would not be able to do that, right? So that's something that we can focus on when we say this blessing, to think about the fact that the world is, is not is not a, uh, a shaky world, but is rather a solid world. I was thinking about it this morning. There are so many metaphors about how, are you standing on shaky ground? Or are you standing on solid ground, right? Because this is a very, very basic idea that is common to all human experience is the concept of solid ground, shaky ground. That's what we thank God right away in the morning for having created a world where there is solid ground that we can make our footing and then continue into the world. The next one is like this. The next one is, Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has provided me my every need. Now, a couple of points about this one. First of all, when do we say this one? So the Talmud said, when you put on your shoes. Right? So putting on your shoes is considered to signify that now all your needs are taken care of. Right. In other words, when people, clothing is more essential than shoes. And when people are very poor, they don't have shoes. Right. You, you're, it's rare that you will find someone walking in sneakers, but without any clothing on. Right unless they're doing it by choice. But, but, but shoes represent the, the pinnacle of having everything that you need to accomplish in this world. With shoes, you're able to travel far distances, right? So shoes represent having all of our needs taken care of. So that's when we say this blessing. What's interesting is this is the first one that we actually transition into a personal blessing, right? It says, who has provided me my every need. Up until now, we have not said it in that tone. And indeed, People have the custom to not say this blessing on Tisha B'Av and on Yom Kippur because you cannot wear leather shoes on that day, right? And in the days of, of the Gemara, their shoes that they wore were leather. So they didn't wear leather shoes, they went barefoot. So if they weren't wearing shoes, then they wouldn't make this blessing at all on that day because this is a personal blessing. The custom today is that we still say it because there are people who still wear shoes on this day. But that being said, 
the point that I'm trying to bring out is this one is the one that starts talking about in the personal, me, my every need. Now, why this one specifically is it personal and not was provided the world all of their needs? So Schwab says a beautiful idea. He says this is really based on Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who was the great Lithuanian sage in the 1800s and the father of the Musar movement. He's the father of the self-development movement in the late 1800s. Now he explained like this. He said, our goal in life should be to feed our spiritual self exactly way more than it needs and to be focused on our spiritual side. You take care of your physical side to the extent that you need to, but your focus and striving in life should be to grow your spiritual side. That being said, when it comes to someone else's physical needs, that becomes your spiritual obligation to help them satisfy their physical materialistic needs. So I can only say God has provided me with everything I need. I have an obligation to recognize that everything that I have in this life is everything that I need, right? Who was the rich person in this world, right? What did Pirkei Avot teach us? Ezehu Ashir, who was the wealthy person in this world, right? Hasameach Bechelko, the one who is happy with what he has. So our obligation in life is to look at our lives as if we have exactly what we need. But that's true for me, myself, and I. When someone else comes to me and says, I need help, you do not tell them, you have everything you need. God gave you exactly what you're supposed to have. No, no, no. Then you don't say that. Then you say, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Okay. So I can only say on a personal level, God gave me everything I need. I cannot say God gave everyone everything that they need, because indeed, if they come to me, I have to help provide them with their materialistic needs as well. Okay. The next blessing is, the next blessing is, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who firms man's footsteps. This is a little bit of an interesting uh, terminology, like the language being used is a little bit interesting. The word in Hebrew is hamechin mitzade gaver. So gaver is man or mankind. Mechin means to prepare. And mitzade means their footsteps. So what exactly is this referring to? So like most weeks, I was speaking to my father this morning, and he said that his understanding of what this is referring to is that when we go through life, we have free will, yes. But God puts us into situations where we get to choose how we're going to react to those situations, right? So we do have free will, but God is obviously placing us into different scenarios in life. My father said that he personally, uh, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, he used to be very focused on Gemara learning and Halakha, and he didn't spend that much time learning more of the mystical aspects and more of the, the tefillah and the blessings. He knew what they were supposed to do, but he didn't spend that much time delving into them and understanding the deeper meanings of them. He was more focused, very practical on Gemara and Halakha. About 20 years ago, he actually came out to Santa Cruz in the summer for two weeks. Now, why did he come out? Because he had a student, Rabbi Yisrael Gordon, who was one of the original JSN rabbis, who was a student of my father. And he told my father, you know, we're having, a, I'm having some group of people that I learned with in Santa Cruz. And I think it would be very helpful if you came out in the summer and did like a two week seminar for them. My father did this for 15 years. Uh, incidentally, he stopped the year that we moved to Palo Alto. <laughs> but um, so he did this with my mother for 15 years. And my father said, if I would not have come out to Santa Cruz, I never would have spent the time 
to delve into some of the more mystical aspects of the Torah and to delve into what the deeper meaning of the blessings are. And I would have been far poorer for that. So Yisrael Gordon, Rabbi Yisrael Gordon, who came out here as my father's student, and then decided, you know, let me call up Rabbi Grossman and see if he's interested in coming out here. My father said, you know what, let's do it. We'll do it one time. He ended up being a 15-year program, a 15-year journey. And through that journey, and certainly in Santa Cruz, what's going to appeal to people might not be the same thing as in a yeshiva in the East Coast in, you know, for, for you know, ultra-Orthodox students. So it's going to be a little bit of a different side of, of the Torah. That was more appealing. And but that ended up leading my father into a completely different path in terms of his own Torah study. And he said, it's been incredible. So he always thinks almost every morning, he said, at least when he's fully awake, when he's saying the blessings, he thinks to himself, that Hashem has granted me the ability to take myself out to Santa Cruz and completely develop a, a completely different side of Torah understanding that I, who knows if that ever would have happened for me, right? Now that's true for my father, right? I think we all, can think to ourselves, what is it in life? Whatever it is that I ended up going here, I ended up going there, you know, I took this path. And because I took that path, I ended up spending, you know, however many years doing X, Y, and Z. And when I look back at my life now, I have to say, God put that opportunity in front of me. And I have to recognize that and appreciate that. It's a very, very important idea that's really being expressed here today. Okay, the next blessing, the next blessing. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who girds Israel with strength. Now, at what point in our morning preparations, our morning uh, ablutions, do we say this blessing? When we put our belt on, right? As men, we, when we put our belt on, that is when we say this blessing. Now, this is the first blessing that is specific to Israel. And it is no longer generic to all of mankind, but specific to Israel. Now, why do we say this blessing when we put our belt on? What exactly are we referring to? So it's an important halacha that the Gemara teaches us. The Gemara teaches us that when you are learning Torah or when you are praying to Hashem, you have to wear a belt. And this is specific to men, and I'll explain why. And if you've ever seen a chasidish, a person davening, you will see that they put a gartel on. They put a little string that they wrap around their waist before they pray. And that is to fulfill this Talmudic obligation to have a belt on. Now, what is the purpose? The purpose is like this. The Gemara tells us, we do not want your heart to be able to see your erva. Your erva is your sexual organ. We do not want your heart to be able to see your sexual organ while you are praying. Okay, so therefore you need to wear a belt. And when you wear a belt on top of your pants, then it's tight. And if it's tight, your heart can't see it. Now we need to understand what this means. What exactly is the Gemara teaching? Your heart doesn't have eyes, right? So what are we referring to by putting this belt on? It is a symbolic act to put us in the right frame of mind. It is a reframing act. What we are trying to be mindful of is the fact that our heart, which is the part that acts in tandem with the brain to fulfill what God wants, should recognize a separation between the lower half of our body that is more materialistic, more animalistic, that there's a separation between the two. They're both created for a purpose and they both should operate in tandem. But it's important to recognize that they don't have equal roles to play in this, in this vision. And therefore we have an obligation to put on a belt so that our heart does not see our bottom. Now, this is specific to, to, to Jewish people that they have this obligation to have this higher level recognition of their purpose in this world. Now, why is this not for women as well? Why don't women have an obligation to put on a belt as well? Well, the answer is that because women do not have an external 
sexual organ. Therefore, they have no obligation. Now, once again, it leads to a question. What does that have to do with anything? If it's a symbolic act, then why, why shouldn't they have to do the same symbolic act? The answer is that the sages looked at the, at the world as that men have more of a connection to their animalistic side, whereas women do not have the same level of connection to their animalistic side. And therefore, men needed that heavy reminder that before every time you pray, before every time you learn Torah, you have to put that belt on to remind yourself, stay separated. But women don't need that, right? Women don't have, need that same, they don't have the same level of, of active involvement with the materialistic and physical animalistic world. And therefore, they don't need that same reminder. So yes, women do make the same blessing. Although they don't put on the belt in the morning as part of an obligation, they do make the same blessing because they are still thanking Hashem for having given them the strength to have their spiritual side overwhelm, or at least have the capacity to overwhelm their physical, more animalistic side. The next blessing, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who crowns Israel with splendor. Now, when do we say this blessing? So the law is, we say this blessing in the Gemara that we read earlier, that you say this blessing when you put on your head phylacteries. Okay? And indeed, we know that tifarah is a, splendor is a word that we use when you are wearing your tefillin. Now, so on a simple level, it's just when you put on your tefillin. First of all, we're going to have a problem with that. Problem is going to be, once again, what about women? Women don't wear tefillin. Are they going to make this blessing or not? We know that they do make the blessing. So what's going on over here? So let's look at this next source. And the next source is a fascinating idea. Next source teaches like this. This is the Rambam, Maimonides. And he says like this. A person should pay heed to the precept of the mezuzah on your door. For it is an obligation perpetually binding upon all. Whenever one enters or leaves a home with the mezuzah on the doorpost, he will be confronted with the declaration of God's unity, blessed be his holy name, and will remember the love due to God and will be aroused from his slumbers and his foolish absorption in temporal vanities. He will realize that nothing endures to all eternity save knowledge of the ruler of the universe. His thought will immediately restore him to his right senses and he will walk in the path of righteousness. So the Rambam is explaining why God gave us the mitzvah of mezuzah. Our ancient teacher said, he who has phylacteries on his head and arm, fringes on his garment, which are tzitzit, and a mezuzah on his door, may be presumed not to sin, for he has many monitors, angels, that save him from sinning. As it is said, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. So when we talk about crowning us with glory, it is not specific to the tefillin. It is that when you are wearing those tefillin, you are going to bring the real glory into the world. You're going to bring these angels. And to take it a step further, in Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer explains the idea of, we say uh, that, that Gabriel's on my right, Gabriel, right? We say that, the angel Gabriel is walking on our right. The angel Raphael is walking on our left. And on top of my head, the Shekhinah, the presence of God is on top of my head when I'm doing the right thing. So when we talk about crowning us with glory, we are actually referring to the fact that through us, we are in tefillin. We actually bring God's presence into the world right above our heads. That's an incredibly powerful idea that we can bring God into the world and we can bring his Shekhinah into the world and we can bring his blessing into the world. Now, Obvious question once again, women are not obligated to wear tefillin. And indeed, it's not recommended for them to wear tefillin. So what do women do? How do they bring God into the world, right? The Rambam just got finished saying, we bring God into the world through our tefillin, through our tzitzit. Women are not supposed to do either of those. So how are women supposed to bring God into the world? 
And the answer is obvious. Once again, women have more of an innate connection, more of an inherent connection to the Shekhinah. That's something that they are more connected to inherently. And therefore, they don't need all of these reminders. They don't need all of these crutches to enable them to reach up to bring God's presence into the world. They could do that innately. And therefore, they don't need that. They can make this blessing. And they can make this blessing of appreciation that this is something that the Jewish people have been granted, right? That the men have been granted this ability. But they can also recognize at the same time that the real tifara that we're talking about, the real tiferet, right? The real splendor and glory that is on top of our heads is not its villain. That is just the, the uh, in Hebrew, we say the hechatimtza. It is the, um, the pathway through which we can bring the real glory into the world. Women are able to bring that real glory into the world without those pathways and without those specific crutches. So now, so now, like I said before, we've we switched from talking about the blessings that are generic to everybody. Now we're talking about the blessings that are more specific to Israel. So let's go look at the next blessing. Now the second to last one. Blessed are you Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who gives strength to the weary. Now, why are we talking about giving strength to the weary? Seemingly, this is when you wake up in the morning, hopefully you feel well-rested, right? And you feel well-rested, you were weary the night before, and now you feel well-rested, ready to attack the world. Now, when should you be making this blessing about giving strength to the weary? It should be right when you get out of bed, right? Because that's when you should be appreciating the fact that you woke up. Why do we wait till the end to make this blessing? So, and also the other part that's a little bit strange is if this blessing is more of a generic blessing, in other words, for all people and not just for the Jewish people, then why wouldn't it be before these last two blessings that were specific to the Jewish people? So he wants to answer like this. This is also specific to, to the Jewish people. And when we talk about giving strength to the weary, it is not talking about on our daily basis that we went to sleep the night before, feeling tired, we woke up feeling good. It was the sages recognizing with deep wisdom that what was going to be happening, and it's still happening, we are going to be in a long and dark and dreary exile. And when we talk about strength to the weary, we always use this terminology of darkness being synonymous with exile. So what we're really talking about is remembering as you finish your morning preparations to go face the world, remember God gives strength to the weary. And although we wait for a long time for the Mashiach to come, and he might tarry, but he's going to come. And God gives strength to us that we can remain where we are and sustain ourselves as we are until Mashiach comes. Okay, I want to do one more blessing because that's the last one. We're not, Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who removes sleep from my eyes and slumber from my eyelids. We will not read that Yihiratzon yet, that ending paragraph, we'll read that next week. But just this idea, he removes sleep from my eyes and slumber from my eyelids. What is this referring to, right? Once again, this should be one of the earliest blessings. And is this specific to the Jewish people or not specific to the Jewish people? <clears throat> the answer that Roshua wants to say is, if you look back to the beginning of the creation of the world, what does God do to Adam before he takes and creates Eve from him? What does God do? He puts him in tardema. He puts him into a very deep sleep, right? If Schwab points out, he doesn't actually wake up from that deep sleep. The Torah never tells us, and he woke up from that deep sleep. If Schwab is saying like this, when God created the world, there was this open presence of God's manifestation of God's presence in this world in a very, very deep level, in a very, very open way. And that was something that everyone, everyone at that point, was Adam and Eve, were able to recognize. He then took away from his life when he decided to, to put Adam into a sleep, he took away from his life. And when Adam woke up, it was no longer the same presence of God in the universe. 
However, so what are we referring to? The slumber that we refer to here is not the slumber that I went to sleep last night. It is the slumber that God created a world in which his presence is not so recognizable. It is a world of tardema, where we don't see God openly. So what, when we say that God took the slumber away from my eyes, what are we referring to? What we're referring to is those limited times throughout Jewish history in which God took away the slumber from our eyes and gave us a vision of who he was at Mount Sinai, in the desert, in our time walking through the, the sea, right? In these times, we saw the presence of God. So we are not referring to everyone having woken up in the morning and having the slumber removed from their eyelids. What we are referring to is the Jewish people having the slumber removed from their eyelids at those limited occasions and thereby enabling us to go about our mission. Our mission of being the Mamlechet Kohanim, right? A nation of priests, right? And a great Kadosh and a holy nation. And the purpose of our mission in this world is to bring the light from those flashes of inspiration, those flashes of when we woke up for a short temporary period from our tardema, from our deep sleep. We woke up from that deep sleep. We were woken a couple of times. And we're supposed to take that inspiration, take it in our own lives and take it to the rest of the world. So that is what we finish with in our morning blessings is to say, we have that heritage. We have the moments in our historical time in which we were given those flashes. And now it's up to us to make that part of our daily daily routine. And as we go about our business, as we then leave our house, we girded ourselves, we put on our shoes, we're now going to leave our houses and go out into the world. We have to recognize we have something that has woken us up. And now that we have awoken, we have a mission and a privilege with which to approach the world. Okay, that's what we're going to finish with for today. Uh, any questions? Okay. Thank you. Okay, great. I'm going to email you with questions. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, so next week we are going to be off. Um, not because of New Year's, but because I'm, I'm going to be moving and I just think it's going to be too busy. Um, so uh, we will be picking up again and finishing this blessing uh, the week after that, which is the, I guess, the first, the eighth. I think it's going to be the eighth, the eighth of January. That's right. Will, will all your classes be off? Actually, yes. Um, I think I'm going to be yeah, the seven o'clock class. I'm also going to be taking hiatus from this week and the Wednesday night class also hiatus from and the Monday night also. So yes, effectively. Yeah. Okay. Dafyomi won't be. Dafyomi does not, never goes on hold. But every, because Dafyomi, if you miss a day, then you're in deep trouble. But everything else, we're going to have to push off. Okay, take care, everyone. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Be well. Happy okay. moving. Have Shabbos. a good day. Thank you. Bye -bye.